Army veteran Sheila Buswell is the CEO and co-founder of Buswell Biomedical, a group that focuses on achieving physical mobility through technology. Coming up next on Veteran on the Move. Welcome to Veteran on the Move. If you're a veteran in transition, an entrepreneur wannabe, or someone still stuck in that J-O-B trying to escape, this podcast is dedicated to your success. And now, your host, Joe Crane. Service isn't just what Navy Federal Credit Union does, it's who they are. That's why Navy Federal created tools to help you earn and save more. Make your financial goals a reality with great rates and low fees. Learn more at NavyFederal.org. All right, today today we're talking with Army veteran Sheila Buswell, CEO of Buswell Biomedical. So Sheila, welcome to the show. Got some great things to talk about. Got a cool product that you invented. I I was telling you before we started, I I love it. I love product. You know, we, we used to be big Amazon sellers and love talking about product inventions. But before we get to talking about all that, take us back. Tell us what you did in the Army. So initially, my MOS was 63, Julia. I was a quartermaster in chemical equipment repair. But at the time I was in that military, like, if you weren't busy, you were on detail. And detail meant cleaning toilets. As <laughs> you can attest in my house, I'm not a domestic goddess. My <laughs> toilets are not clean. So I would fix generators, and I'd, like, learn to fix generators. So I cross-trained as a 52 Delta generator mechanic. And that's what I did. Awesome. So, so like, and of course there's a bad experience with a generator in there, right? Yeah. When <laughs> I was deployed to Bosnia in 98, um, a generator fell on my foot and crushed it. And I, it was a lucky thing to happen in retrospect, like 25 years later, I'm like, okay, it kept me out of getting a medical discharge when I did was probably good. But at the time I was like, I was never going to be a foot model, but I had to reassess my life and like, okay, certain careers were not going to be open to me. So that yeah. was good. Yeah. So, so talk a little, just a little bit about the, the injury, working through the injury and ultimately ended up with a discharge and what that did to your transition out of the army. So I enlisted initially for three years to get a medical discharge. I had to stay in longer. And my dad's a Vietnam veteran from the military. And he was like, stay in, get the medical discharge. And I was like, dad, you're going to be appreciative if there's another war. And I was, this is right before 9-11. And I was like, there's not going to be another war. And he's like, his answer was, there's always going to be another war. And I stayed in. I don't know why, because I never, I mean, I don't know who listened to their dad all the time, but I very, I li- I wish I listened to him more as an adult, (laughs) but I listened to him at that time and I stayed in and got a medical discharge and it was very mentally tough to stay in my watching my friends, you know, that I had made over the course of my first duty station and, and AIT and basic trading get out or move on. And I was stuck and yeah, that was my first experience in, but getting that injury, I didn't fully appreciate how much that would affect my life. Like I had to make sure that, okay, I couldn't do the things I could before, but I needed to use my brain more. I needed to use other things. And that was more empowering later on because now I'm 40 
in my late 40s, I'm about to have a birthday and I don't want, I couldn't have depended on things anyway, but sharpening my skill set and being, you know, I could use my education and my brain and things like that, that weren't smashed by the generator. <laughs> so. so, so ultimately you get, you get to medical discharge, you head off to school. So walk us through some of those experiences. Yeah, I got a, I ended up with a master's in engineering, but I went back and finished a degree. Um, I got a bachelor's in science and mechanical engineering. And when I went back to school, I didn't know, you know, I had to, you've taken, I didn't, I had to retake, didn't retake any classes, but I had to relearn a lot. And math was something that was difficult to relearn, but Again, this is something that I learned in the military. It's like, okay, I gave myself a pep talk. Okay, I did this, I did that. And I talk about this in my book. Like, okay, I reassessed my past experiences. I'm like, okay, I've done a lot of hard things. This is just an hard thing I need in my toolbox. So I'm going to, I went to the math center every day until I was able to conquer what I needed to. And I ended up not being afraid of math going forward. Yeah, there's a lot of people who have a couple fears. engineering degrees. You got through the math part. Yeah. Like people think, oh, you're good at math. No, I was there from sunset till, you know, sunrise till they opened until they closed yeah. for many days. But <laughs> well, that's cool. So, not- so in your rehabilitation and from your injury in the army, ultimately you ended up doing some stuff in the, in the medical field and uh, talk to us about uh, your invention at some point and what it was like starting your own biomedical company. So I got out of the army with a medical discharge. I hurt my foot and I hurt my foot when I was 21. So I rehabbed in a UN hospital and 20 years later in 2018, my mom falls and breaks her hip and it's 20 years and she's in Arizona. And I'm looking at, uh, I, by this time I have a master's in engineering and I'm automated a lot of devices. I've worked for a lot of great companies and I'm like, this could be better. And I figure out at first I wanted to burn the place down, but, and I was mad at the healthcare workers, but then I feel figured out it wasn't their fault. They are well-intentioned. It was just that there wasn't enough of them, blah, blah, blah. So I automated the task of activities of daily living, like toileting. And I thought, well, I'll go work for who's ever developing this product. Well, there's nobody developing it. Well, surely somebody invented this product. No, nobody's invented it. So this is in 2018, between 2018 and 2019, I go on this discovery and I am not like the other entrepreneurs that have been on this podcast. I was like, explored it. I'm risk adverse. I was like, okay, if not me, then who? I have the skill set. I have the education. The military well prepared me. This is another battle I'm going to fight. And that's what I did. So I started my business in April of 2019 and I worked full time and did this as my side hustle. And I was like, never seeing the people I loved. (laughs) So I didn't have this balance that people talk about the work-life balance and I wasn't nice. So I quit my full-time job, August 6th, 2019. And I've been doing this ever since. As a member-owned not-for-profit, Navy Federal puts members at the heart of every single thing that they do. Low fees and great rates, resources to help you crush your financial goals, 24-7 access to state-side member service representatives, 
with award-winning customer service. Members can enjoy earning and savings of $473 per year by banking with us, an average credit card APR that's 6% lower than the industry average, a market-leading regular savings rate nearly two times the industry average. Navy Federal Credit Union likes to reward their members for using their credit cards. And you can earn up to 1.75% cash back on all purchases with Cash Rewards Card when you sign up for direct deposit. When you use the Navy Federal mobile app, you can redeem your rewards as soon as you earn them. Low intro APR offers. Learn more at NavyFederal.org, insured by NCUA. Credit card value claim based on 2022 internal average APR assigned to members compared to advertised industry APR average published on creditcards.com. Our market-leading regular savings rate is almost or nearly two times the industry average. This podcast is sponsored by MD Hearing. You know how it is when you have to repeat everything that you say to someone who has hearing issues? Well, the last time I saw Wanda, my friend who's in her 80s, she was wearing her new MD hearing aids, and I noticed right away that she didn't say what to everything I said to her. I didn't have to repeat myself. After all, it's 2024. Are you still paying thousands of dollars for hearing aids that don't even work right? MD Hearing is an FDA-registered, rechargeable hearing aid that costs a fraction of what typical hearing aids cost. MD Hearing's brand new XS model costs over 90% less than clinic hearing aids. And the XS is MD Hearing's smallest hearing aid ever. It fits inside your ear and no one will even know it's there. MD Hearing was founded by an ENT surgeon who saw how many of his patients needed hearing aids but couldn't afford them. He made it his mission to develop a quality hearing aid that everyone could afford. So if you want MD Hearing's smallest hearing aid ever, go to shopmdhearing.com and use promo code VETERAN to get their new $397 when you buy a pair offer. That's shopmdhearing.com and use our promo code VETERAN and get their new $397 when you buy a pair offer. All right, back talking with Army veteran Sheila Buswell, CEO of Buswell Biomedical. So Sheila, I'm going to take a couple steps back dealing with your own medical injury and watching what your mom went through when she broke her hip. You came to the realization there was like something missing here or you know, there was some problems in upward mobility where people have injuries that dramatically reduce their mobility. So where did you actually, when did the light, what was that proverbial light bulb moment when the light came on and you're like, I need to develop some type of upward mobility device here. And, and how did you go about doing that? So when I was injured, it was, I was 21. I don't know. Joe, you've been 21. I don't, the listeners vary in age, right? You don't, but when I saw my mom and my mom's a little woman, um, but she's very strong and very independent. But the rules were you have to have a healthcare worker with you at all times when conducting these activities of daily living, like toileting. And you have to, the main actions of, we're just going to use the example of toileting or standing up, sitting down, and then walking. And then those are tasks that can be automated, but you have to have a baseline. So first I had to create the baseline of like sensors, but I realized, okay, we have to understand what in that task needs to be automated because that's a task that needs to be automated. First, understanding that that was a task that from a personal perspective, you want to do alone. I knew from having that myself, even if the healthcare worker is readily available, which they're not, in 2018 they were not, and today that's the same requirement that hasn't been, but there's a lot less healthcare workers for various reasons. 
But as a person, you want that independence to be able to conduct these activities independently. It was a struggle to see my mom not be able to get the help she needed when she needed it. And a lot of the lawsuits that happen, there's $180 billion filed every year, are between healthcare workers who get injured as they're trying to help patients and patients. They fall, they get injured in myriad of ways when they fall. And they're conducting a task, standing up, sitting down, and walking. That's basically it. And those are tasks that have been automated. So when you say the task has been automated, what do you mean by that? So there's in OSHA regulations, it's something that has been done, but there's certain in industry, like the brewing industry, the other industries have regulated this task and I'm reaching for stuff, but the task itself, but in the hospital rehabilitation centers specifically, it's a task that you need. The task is to understand movement of people impaired versus, you know, a healthy person like a Captain America or Reacher or some superhero when they stand up and sit down is going to be very different than like my mom or me or you, or, you know, as you age. And even though you're healthy, it's just different over time. So is it normal behavior or is it, do you need help? It's, those are things that need to be answered and those are questions, but these are tasks that have been done before. These are standing up, sitting down, walking. I have my Apple watch knows if I'm walking on a treadmill or I'm walking outside with my dog. These are tasks that the motion is understood. Now, the ability to securely catch you and uh, raise raise you up or notify a healthcare worker that hasn't been done in a rehabilitation hospital. And that's the secret sauce that the upward mobility offers. And currently the standard of care is not automated. It's very manually intensive. It depends on healthcare workers to do this task of witnessing you going all these activities of daily living, like going to the toilet. Yeah. Please ask me questions, Joe. I'm, I know that I'm not good at this. So talk about your, your upward mobility device. Like what is it and what exactly does it do? So current, the current standard of care, right? You would, if you're in a rehabilitation hospital, you call a healthcare worker, you press a button and the healthcare worker gets notified that this patient in this bed needs um, help. They don't know exactly what help, but if you press in the same way, you could press a button and this thing would come to you like a Roomba and drop down a nylon strap. You'd have a harness that's specialized to you and it would have the sensors that know your movements. And the harness would be dropped into your lap you would connect your harness to the device. If I say radio frequency identification tag or RFID, right, that's would be attached. It would say, okay, Joe's in the device. And then you put the harness on like a jacket and then you attach it. And it, the, the device, the upward mobility would be like, oh, Joe's got this harness in the completely secured 
and this is where he's located. The healthcare worker knows where you are, who's in the device at all times. If you, this device is only able to let you, allow you to get your feet under you. Like if you have a toddler who's learning how to walk and they stumble, you pick them up. This device will notify the healthcare worker if you need more help than being the ability to get your feet under you to stabilize yourself. Yeah. So you actually, you have like a model of your device, right? Yes. Yeah. So if you're watching this, this is, on the YouTube channel, you could see, oh yeah. It's one twelfth. It's okay. one twelfth. I have a doll that fits in here and a, it's one twelfth and it's, fits around a toilet and through a door frame. Now, is that something that is only designed to be used in a healthcare facility or can it be used at home? It, in a, the reason it's in a healthcare facility, rehabilitation facility at the moment, as this algorithm, we get more, it's going to be more powerful and you're going to know the reason it's not in homes right now is because door frames are a varied width. They're standard height, yeah. but they're varied width. Yeah. I had a hundred year old house in the city of St. Louis and the door frames were 28 inches wide <laughs> in a hospital. They're 42. Yeah. So your product that you invented is basically like a, for lack of a better term, um, like almost like an, an, an engine lift for a vehicle, but um, it's just designed to help a person get out of bed, watch them. If, so if, if, if once they're hooked up, if they start walking to the restroom and they stumble or trip, the device is there. It's not going to let them hit the floor. It's going to keep them mostly upright and let them get their bearings and feet back underneath them and continue on, right? Yes, but it will alert the healthcare worker that, that and they happened. will move under their own power. They'll stand up under their own power, but if they need help, it's there. And that's the, what the healthcare worker does currently. The healthcare worker is supposed to catch you if you fall, which is ridiculous because people are getting heavier every day. And the idea of lifting with your legs that's what the standard of care is. Lift it with your legs and a healthcare worker is supposed to catch you if you fall. You can't catch with your legs and you can't catch in an ergonomic position. And it's there if you need it, but you can be independent. All the other devices on the market require a healthcare worker to use. This allows you to be completely independent. When you're in critical care or at a hospital that's critical, like you're working on survival. As you... Get your knee replaced the day you get your knee replaced. You are later in the day able to use this device. But the, there is a time where you just, your leg is like sawed off. You know what I mean? Like you have right. more things going on and you're working on survival. And that is a different scenario. There is a bandwidth where this would be helpful, but there's a bandwidth where you couldn't use it. So if you get in a car accident and you injure your back, you're looking at nine months minimum. Yeah. The first few weeks, you could not use it. The next eight and a half months, you could use it. And increasing, it would be there to help you, but it wouldn't require constant supervision. And the healthcare worker could spend time using the skills they developed and the skills they were trained to do. So when you first came up with this idea and you started, do you socialize the idea around to healthcare workers and people in the industry and patients and how well received was your idea? So I, April of 2019 is when I started my business. 
I am sure you're aware, as most of the listeners are, there's a pandemic that hit <laughs> about nine months after. But I talked yep. to, I think, about 100 healthcare workers, and a, patients are easier to find. I had one patient that I talked to um, that was the day they got out of the hospital, I got a specimen of motion standing up and sitting down. And that, there is definitely a desire from patients that have the experience that they want to be independent and nurses don't want to get injured themselves, nor do they want their patients to have to wait. And their patient to healthcare worker ratio is skewed state to state. There's a criteria for that. And there's definitely a need for the device. I've talked to probably 25 uh, purchasing agents, healthcare managers. If you're in a healthcare industry, it's your people facing or your business. Healthcare industry in this country is a business, right? Like yeah. it's not a charity for the most part. And there's definitely a desire to reduce injuries from falls, but whether it's to help people or to save money, it depends on who you are. And if you want to increase independence, you don't see yourself necessarily as needing this device until you need it, but you can see that it is needed. So patients who have been patients can be like, oh, when I injured my back, when I had this knee replacement, joint replacement, definitely. But until you're in that situation, you don't see it. And that's why I was in a unique position. I had injured my foot in the military. I was able to empathize with what my mother was going through. And I was able to see my mom and I had the education to know there was a better way. Just had to develop it. Yeah. So talk about what you went through as far as uh, learning the development of the product and manufacturing and those lessons learned. The hardest thing, the hardest lesson learned was that especially after I spent so much time learning math and to master engineering was that that wasn't the most important product development is important, but it's not the most important, the business structures and foundations and marketing. They're all important. People need to value what other people do. And I think that is something you learn in the military that necessarily is not something that comes easily to people who are outside the military. You value the cooks as much as you value the people who dig the foxholes, right? Like you understand that there's right. all the moving parts that are required. When I was injured, I had empathy, but as the patient, I had more empathy as, a, as my, seeing my parent in this situation. When I started a business, it's very hard to be like, okay, this is my passion project. But I want to separate that from building the device and looking at it as an engineer to see if it's technically feasible and see if other people in the world have this problem. I want to solve a problem that exists for the rest of the world, not just for Sheila Buswell and her family. I don't know if that makes sense. There is a lot to appreciate about and learning from other businesses that you wouldn't, there's how I built this podcast. And I have learned a lot from that. Like you just don't know what struggles you're going to face until you face them. The struggles that I have faced, most of them have been faced before. I have never been like, oh, this is the first time ever that I've had problems finding a welder or problems finding uh, the uh, machinist 
or the technical problems have always been short-lived for me because that's a sandbox I have played in for 25 years. But the business acumen and structures are something that's new to me. And it was difficult to learn those and to figure out where to go and to get those resources. Were you able to get it made in the U.S.? Yes. Okay. Cause that's not easy to do. <laughs> Trust me. Like, um, sometimes you hit up us manufacturers. They don't even want to talk to you until you give them like a $50,000 deposit. And then like, okay, we're going to need another 50 grand to do a prototype. It's crazy for how some, some stuff overseas, especially over in China, how easy it is to get things manufactured over there. So even if you really, really want to do it in the U S it's tough. Well, since this is an FDA regulated device, I've only one, not a bunch. And that might change. Since we're making one and I have, there's, again, when I live in the city, there's different neighborhoods in St. Louis. I know that there's different neighborhoods. You lived in Kansas City for a while, I believe. Yep. There's different neighborhoods there also. But you, I went to, I lived in South City. I went to Dogtown where the machine shop was. I went with the drawing and I said, this is what we have. And he says, I could machine this. And he'd mark up the drawing. He made the part. And I went back and made like modified the design. And we did that for a bunch of iterations. I don't even know exactly how many. I can't quantify. So I think that makes a difference. I think when we make more, it I have no intention of outsourcing it, but that might raise more challenges for sourcing stuff. Yeah. So how many devices do you have in use? Again, we have successfully built one. We do not have the full machine learning library that will be required. Yeah. And we don't have one integrated, fully integrated. So, so talk about the machine learning aspect of it all. That was another technical challenge. I will happily talk about that. But that was one thing in the military that talk about, okay, you have to, the soft skills you learn in the military. I think there was a, a lot of your podcast was about, you know, the skills that are, oh, you yeah. have to find things to talk about to people. You, I'd have to go up to people in the middle of the pandemic to build a machine learning library, right? And the FDA regulates that you have to have across the age spectrum, 50% male and female and representative of the population. There, I'm a middle-aged woman. There is no way I could go up to a young man and be like, stand up and sit down, wear this harness for science in the middle of the pandemic, right? Like there was no way that could not be weird. Right. So that was an engagement of, I, we need 300 for a minimum machine learning library. I think I have a little over a hundred. The majority of those were just me talking to people and going up. And saying, okay, can you do this? Can you do that? I went to a military recruiting place and I was an army veteran. So the army veteran hung up on me. Really? <laughs> like you're in your late forties, you got a medical discharge, click. The Navy vet, the Navy recruiter was like, talk to me and let me come in and take, I got like 10 samples. Full disclosure, the army recruiter gave me a motion sample, but there's a huge difference between giving a motion sample, standing up and sitting down while wearing the harness that's specially designed with sensors and allowing me to get some 10 samples because yeah. you're, you, you know, you have your recruits give me samples. The ability to talk to people and to 
stand-up is just one skill that I got from the military that I wouldn't have gotten through other places, I don't think. I mean, it's not in my wheelhouse to be like, hey, just talk to people. It's, I mean, I have developed, that's a, talk about sharpening my sword. I have done that to a great extent, but that is a skill that I definitely, guard duty, yeah, I had to pat people down, right? Like, and then you had to make small talk. There's no way that's not awkward, but being able to build a machine learning library in the middle of the pandemic, knowing that it involves touching and doing this, there's no way that's not weird. So you have to be able to make small talk in these awkward situations. And that was a skill that I didn't anticipate being a value later on in life. And, and what, what is, what is collection of the data in machine learning? What does that do? Like, what, what do you do with that data? Like if we don't even have the fancy idea what machine learning is, can you explain oh, that? Oh, Yes. I'm sorry. I, again, not speaking to the audience, Joe. So I appreciate you asking that question. Um, machine learning library. So a lot of machine learning, all of machine learning is just uh, has a huge data library, right? So you have to build that data library. There is no data library for standing up and sitting down for a harness I yeah. made, but my Apple watch knows if I'm walking on a treadmill or walking outside with my dog because there's a huge library. People have been wearing the watch while they're walking and they can record data. When you have a machine, like a Swiss mill machine is how I learned about this data. And it machines a certain um, material for a certain amount of turns. It says, okay, when I've milled this type of steel, this many turns, I have to, it dulls the blade and it has to be replaced. So after gathering enough data, they know that this device will require a cutting tool change. The cutting tool is made of a certain material. So you can gather machine learning library information on anything. It just is a matter of a large enough library to build the statistical significant data. Am I speaking plainly enough? I don't. Yeah. I, yeah, I understand. Um, I just wanted to. I know the machine learning aspect of it was a big, uh, was a big piece in, in the beginning was trying to gather that data and, and how to implement it and use it in, in your device. So we're getting close to the end of our time, Sheila. So if we want to find out more about uh, Buswell Medical, how do we find you? The easiest way to contact me is if you go to, I have this book, Is the Seat for Me? I wrote this book after it's overcoming imposter syndrome in everyday life and business. I bought the website is the seat for me.com. Just enter your name and you'll get a free audiobook chapter. And you can get my email address. You'll get an email from me and a link and we'll start a conversation. Awesome. And I do want to give you the last the last word, Sheila. If you know, if you're talking to somebody that's in the military getting out and want to start their own business, you know, along the lines of like I understood all the technical challenges and I can deal with that kind of thing, but dealing with the, the business structures and the business aspects of things was new to me. What kind of advice comes to mind for somebody that's getting out and wanting to start their own business? A lot of it can be overwhelming and I think it's new to you, but that doesn't, it's not new. So just, just not be afraid of doing the research and digging deep. And if you're getting out of the military, there's stuff you've done that's similar. There's lessons that you've learned that will be of value. And you don't know how they're going to be of value in certain situations, but they will be. And I don't, 
there's value in, I didn't anticipate in my military service in a myriad of ways has been a value to me. So I think not having fear of business structures and acumen is a huge deal. And if you're served in the military, you can do this. You have discipline and you can go forward and get the tools you need to succeed. Awesome. Well, great, Sheila. Thanks for uh, sharing your entrepreneurial success story. You're at the beginning of it here and we uh, love you got your first device up and running and uh, look forward to seeing your future success. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate that. All right. You bet, Sheila. Two veterans are Oscar Mike. Thank you for listening to Veteran on the Move, your pathfinder to freedom. If you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes. Reviews are always greatly appreciated. So until next time, this veteran is Oscar Mike.